Bring that energy. Yay. Uh. <laughs> I'm like Angela. <laughs> Welcome back, creeps. Hey, everyone. Hope you're having a fantastic Friday so far. We are recording this on a Monday. And the weather sucks. Yeah, it's perfect. It sucks. It's it's that weather that makes you feel lazy where it's cold and gray and rainy. And everything is cold. <laughs> it's my kind of weather, to be honest. I like it like this. I had to peel myself off the couch to wash dishes because they were annoying me. And... I had to battle with the annoying cold. I fucking hate the cold. I don't know if I hate it as bad as the heat, but it's uncomfortable. You know what? I just don't like being uncomfortable. That's what it is. Anyways, so we have some stories for you this week. Um, who do you want to go first, Adam? Um, I'm pretty sure it's your turn to go first. Let me double check. But also, before we start, I'm going to say to everybody to stick around after our stories are done because I think a lot of people don't realize that we actually tell listener stories at the end of every single episode. Mm. We just don't get around to it until after we're done. I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, story's over. Okay, bye. Mm. So I've had even people who have submitted their own stories write into us and be like, hey, where's our story? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Just stick around to the end. Like Listen there. to the entirety of the episode. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so stick around afterwards because I get it. Like, by the time the stories are over in most podcasts that I listen to, I'm like, all right, fuck off. Unless I'm like, you know, doing something that I can't get to my phone and stop it right there and then. And this week's story is particularly juicy, I think. Anyway, Dulce hasn't heard it yet. No, he's been hyping it up a lot. And I'm getting really excited about it. I'm so excited right now. <laughs> this is Dulce's excited voice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, oh, yeah. Who goes first? I'm pretty sure it's you. I'm okay. Sure. All right. So my sources are iClowny, Reddit, History.com, AwarenessAct.com, M-T-H-O-L-Y-O-K-E.E-D-A-U, listverse.com and the ghost in my machine well okay <laughs> yeah anyways this story well it's not so much a story it's more like the information that i am presenting to you i'm going to educate you on 3 a.m okay so depending on who you ask 3 a.m is called the witching hour or the devil's hour um, there's a lot of stories that I've read, a lot of videos, I've seen a lot of movies, uh, that center around the phenomena of what is 3am, between 3am and 4am, right? Yeah, not 3am, the Eminem song. N well, see, that I will get to that. Oh, okay. Well, it's not about him specifically, it's more just like, there's tons of songs, there's like four movies. Mm-hmm. There's books, literature, that reference the witching hour. All the time. like okay. All the time. So if it's always in your face, like it's literally always in your face. It's, yeah, there's yeah. a significance. Like there's a lot of hullabaloo 
around 3 a.m. Yeah, yeah, big yeah. time. I mean, I've never seen a song called 4 p.m., you know? Yeah. I've never seen a lot. <laughs> There's not a lot of hoopla over 4 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in my head, it was always just like kind of the perfect in-between light, you know what I mean? Like even in the middle of summer. Mm. You still have to wait like at least another like two hours or something before it gets light again. So, you know, like if you're stuck somewhere at three in the morning or you wake up at three in the morning, it's not like you can go, oh, well, it's going to be bright in 10 minutes. So I'll be fine. Yeah. And and there's like a lot of sayings that I guess just confirm the idea that nothing good ever happens at 3 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. All, but there's several reasons why, you know, like. Here in Houston, the bars close at two, so there's like a lot of shit that goes down around the time that people are heavily inebriated, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rambling around. Yeah. Uh huh. Um. But anyways, so three a.m. Not everyone believes that three a.m. is a witching hour on account of different kinds of like. Because specifically talking about it, like if you're calling it the witching hour, I guess technically, if you are a witch, that's not entirely, it wouldn't exactly be entirely true. And then it also depends on who you ask, because yeah. it's a very personal journey. Because like time of day also corresponds with whatever kind of magic that you're doing. But anyways, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> I feel um, like that's a whole other podcast. Mm-hmm. So beliefs range uh about 3 a.m the beliefs range from like the veil between the living and the dead is the thinnest uh which is which is like um in quotation marks witches and f- psychics are most powerful at this hour waking form REM cycles that could be happening at this time you know um because, you know, the body when you're sleeping goes through REM cycles. Yeah, yeah. And you're more likely to go be going through a REM cycle at this time. Which is important to note because, like, if you wake up at 3 a.m. And you're paralyzed, that's another, that's sleep paralysis, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's where you hear a lot, hear a lot of stories like, oh, I saw this thing at 3 a.m. Or maybe something really is visiting you at 3 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But there's just like all around bad vibes about 3 a.m. But again, like imagining you're in the middle of a nightmare. Say you're in the middle of a nightmare during your your dream state mm-hmm. and your body accidentally or your eyes accidentally open. The rest of your body's not awake. And now like the demon or the nightmare that you were dreaming about is now transferred into reality. But anyways, have you ever has it ever happened to you? Have I asked uh, you this before? Like it's not quite sleep paralysis, but you're a dream, but you're you know yeah. you're, you're aware of your surroundings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But like, generally, when I've been like sick in the past, like if I have like a like a fever dream, a f- yeah, yeah, like uh, I've had yeah. a few notable fever dreams when I was a kid that like still fuck me up to this day. Like, wow, one about Oompa Loompas, yeah. So I guess you can never watch that movie ever again. I mean, I have. They just, <laughs> it led to a fear of Oompa Loompas for quite a while. Wow. Yeah, like really, really badly. So demonic activity uh, is also based on the belief that the devil 
and his demons are mocking 3 p.m., which is when Jesus was supposedly crucified. I didn't know that. Which would explain why it's specifically 3 a.m. and not uh, 3 a.m. and 3 p.m. You know what I'm saying? Like weird shit happening at 3 p.m. and 3 a.m. So it's not like the the idea is just around the number three, which is the Holy Trinity and mocking the Trinity. Yeah, yeah. It's the idea that demons run rapid at 3 a.m. Is, is specifically tied to 3 p.m. being when Jesus was crucified. Yeah, or when he died on the cross. Yeah, because like if you ask people, they say, oh, because three. Well, then 3 p.m. would be just as haunted as 3 a.m. Yeah, yeah. But it's not. But you also don't hear many stories of like, miraculous things happening at three in the afternoon like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah i guess not huh hmm i wonder if that has something to do with human nature and focusing on the bad things that happen i mean it's, i'm a lot more likely to focus on scary shit when i wake up in the dark at 3 a.m as opposed to waking up from a nap at 4 p.m yeah you know what i mean <laughs> yeah that makes depending sense. on how i get woken up i suppose <laughs> So the first recorded phrase of witching hour comes from uh, 1560 from Pope John Paul II. He was the first one to coin the phrase. And this came about a time when Catholic churches forbade activities during 3 to 4 a.m. Oh. Why? Um, It came from the fear of witches and witchcraft. This hysteria started... During the mid-1400s, this was also around the same time when Malleus Maleficarum, The Hammer of Witches, was written and published. So, the Malleus Maleficarum was a top seller, second only to the Bible, until 1678. It was probably just the second book. (laughs) 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 Like, the only other option. (laughs) This book was like a handbook that described the supposed nature of witchcraft and how to prosecute witches. Yeah. Nice. I bet that has some controversial. Oh, it had a lot of misogyny and yeah. sexist things and like folk like targeting lower class people. People that you would say live outside the society's fringe or whatever. One of the most harmful repercussions of the publication of this book was that it spurred changes in judicial law to allow witchcraft to be a crime in itself, allowing people to be prosecuted for being a witch, whereas before people were only prosecuted of witchcraft because it was involved in a case where the crime was something different altogether. Like, say, murder, right? Say somebody died in a weird way. Yeah, right. And you you would say, say the husband died and then you're blaming the wife, but she has this weird friend that is a widow. So it must be because she worked with her. So now we're going to prosecute both of them. One for being a witch and one for contracting the witch for murdering the husband. Okay. So that's what it used to be. So after the publication of this book, you could point to anyone and be like, oh, that's a witch. So now you're going to get prosecuted. Right. You right. know, just for that. This book was written by Heinrich Kramer and Jacob Springer, who were given Papal Bull by Pope Innocent the Eighth. Papal Bull? Yeah, Papal Bull. Papal Bull gave 
these two guys the power to prosecute witches in 1486. A papal bull is a type of public decree given by the Catholic Church. So it's basically gave them the dec decree, like, you guys are official witch hunters. Right, right. It yeah. sounds really badass. I know it's not. <laughs> so as I mentioned before, women were accused of being witches. The easiest targets being single women, widows, and women. Between 1500 and 1660, 80,000 women, almost all of them were women, were put to death on suspicion of being witches. So a small percentage of that were men. The belief was that witches were hiding amongst them in disguise while doing their evil deeds under the veil of darkness that the night provides. Another belief was that witches did witchcraft at night because they draw their power from the darkness itself. Right. Yeah. So backtracking to what we were talking about before, the stories and trends that enforce the 3 a.m. thing. There was something um, making its rounds in YouTube called the 3 a.m. challenge. It's when you wake up at 3 a.m. and you open your camera to see if you catch anything with it. You, oh. I know. But you could also try calling random numbers at 3 a.m. to see what you get. Playing board, you could also play board games. I'm assuming like the Ouija board. Uh, playing video games to find anomalies, ghost hunting, slumber party games like Bloody Mary. So basically, you just, you know, wake up at 3 a.m. and just do something to see if something out of the norm would happen. Right. Okay. And I I know about like the video game anal uh, anomalies. Like if you go on YouTube. You can find like, oh, I was playing this. I was playing Minecraft at 3 a.m. And this weird ass fucking cube thing just popped up out of nowhere. And he shouldn't be here and he's not moving or you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. You hear a lot of that shit. But then like there's other games that like, I mean, I am Red Dead Redemption obsessed. But mm. I know like Rockstar always hide. Like e Easter eggs. Yeah. And one of them in probably in Red Dead as well. I just haven't found it. But in Grand Theft Auto five there's a ghost lady like on top of a mountain but you have to go there at a specific time and specific um, weather conditions and shit, shit like that yeah so if i happen to be playing that game at that time in the middle of the night and i came across that i would probably just turn <laughs> off everything and leave I mean, no no fucking way so it's reported that kids as young as five would participate this challenge was popularized between May and August of 2017, major contributors being YouTubers Ruby Rube and Jason Ether. Ah, yes, I know them well. <laughs> the article I read says that children or teenagers are more likely to see things because of their imagination, which I think is a load of crap, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to talk about a few of the slumber party games because um, when it was like listing the things that you could do at 3 a.m. I was like, I get familiar with all of them. And I feel like our audience would be familiar with a lot of them, too. Okay. So one of the games that you can play at 3 a.m. is called the Ghost Paper Challenge. Okay. Okay. So for the Ghost Paper Challenge, you need at least one person. You need paper, something to write with, a candle, matches, a room with a door. Okay. Make sure that the paper and the writing implement can slide under the door completely when the door is closed. A timekeeping device. 
and three questions. Only three questions. They, they need to be on the paper? I will tell you. Okay, sorry. Okay, so the first step is begin shortly before 3 a.m. Next, turn off all the lights in your house. Take up your supplies and go to your chosen room and door. Close the door. Place the piece of paper in front of the door and place a candle next to the piece of paper and then light it. The candle, not the paper. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Keep an eye on your timekeeping device. At 3 a.m. precisely, knock on the door three times. Repeat the following phrase three times. Spirit of the door, I welcome you. Make yourself present and come through. Next, with your writing implement, write your first question on the piece of paper. When you're finished, place the writing implement on the piece of paper. Slide the piece of paper with the writing implement halfway through the crack between the door and the floor. So you're sliding it under the door. Yeah, yeah. And then you wait. If the, if the paper remains where it is, the summoning has failed. Do not proceed. Is extinguish the candle and try again another time. If the paper is pulled through the other side of the door, the summoning has succeeded. You may proceed. Uh, okay. And then you wait. If the paper does not reappear, do not proceed. Apologize aloud. Thank the spirit for its time and extinguish the, the candle. Do not open the door until daylight. You may try again another time. I don't think I would try again. If the paper slides back through the door towards you, examine the paper, read your response. Note, if the response tells you to go away, asks you to leave the spirit alone, or is hostile in any way, do not proceed. Apologize aloud, thank the spirit for its time, and extinguish the candle. Do not open the door until daylight. Be very careful about trying again another time, otherwise you may proceed. Using the writing implement, write your second question on the piece of paper. When you're finished, place the writing implement on the piece of paper and slide it again halfway through the crack between the door and the floor again, like halfway under the door. Yeah. And then you wait. And the same rules apply. You know, if it, if, if it doesn't, if the paper doesn't move, apologize, thank the spirit, and then turn off your candle. But you're still not supposed to open the door until daylight. Um, but again, if the paper is pulled from under the door, you can keep going. Wait until the paper does appear back. If it doesn't, don't proceed. Apologize aloud. Thank the spirit for its time. Turn off the candle. Again, you can't open the door until daylight. So you're going to continue this until the third question, right? Yeah. I think, to be honest, even if I got a response, I would still just apologize aloud <laughs> and extinguish my candle. Yeah. Okay. So say the spirit decides to give you all the responses for all three questions. Once you've gotten your third response, you have the paper already, you know, like it's, yeah. it's like, here you go, dude. 
Here's your response. Mm -hmm. You have to thank the spirit for its time and extinguish the candle. Keep the door shut. When the sun has risen, you may open the door. Do not open the door before daylight. So that's that's the game. Does it explain what happens if you ask a fourth question or if you open the door? Yes. The, about the questions, it doesn't say anything. But if it if you do open um, the door, you're apparently letting something into your house. Okay. Yeah. It could try to attach itself to you. Um, and I'm getting all these assumptions from the comments below because um, the, when this game was posted and apparently there have been a few participants. So <laughs> the funny thing is somebody asked, what do you think will happen if we don't relight the candle? And then... <laughs> The common response is something very bad will happen. Oh, <laughs> but to be fair, like I wouldn't play these kind of games when I was like, I probably wouldn't play, play them now either because I'd be like too afraid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if there was something already, like just for example, say there was a spirit happened to be knocking around and you just happened to start playing this game. And they did just take it as an in. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's my logical fear. Take that as you will. <laughs> <laughs> like someone asked, like, is it okay to write more than three questions? And they're like, if you ask more than three, you're disrespecting it. But I mean, that's a stretch. I mean, this whole thing is a stretch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it makes for a good story. That's why we're fucking I, right. You I, know, you're still going to shit yourself yeah doing it like. what i would recommend is if you decide to do this don't lock yourself in the bathroom because you can't open that door until the, the sun goes up but but at least you have a toilet to pee in exactly <laughs> that was my first concern when you said you can't open the door until like i'd be pissing in cups and everything oh yeah that's true you that means you can't drink anything after a certain hour because then you can't get out of that room anymore yeah. it's a lot of planning going into this game yeah i'd say so so apparently this game is very similar to another game called uh, The Midnight Game because they both involve lighting a candle, writing something on a piece of paper, positioning the paper before a door, and then knocking on the door a certain, amount, a certain number of times before you summon something. Where they differ is the use of blood. The ghost paper challenge doesn't require any, while The Midnight Game does. Okay. <laughs> I know. But don't worry, because you can still use blood if you want. I suppose you could. With your writing implement. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Why did they just fucking yeah. just... I don't know. Just say pencil or pen. I don't know. No, I, the, my favorite was that your time-telling instrument or something. What was it? Yeah. Yeah, I was like, well... Oh, you mean a clock? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> it can't be a sundial because... Maybe a phone nowadays? <laughs> yeah. So what I'm going to go into is like more 3 a.m. stories um, and stuff like that. So if you go on YouTube, you find a lot of 3 a.m. stories. You'll, I mean, but you'll probably end up finding a lot of creepypastas too. But I mean, 
do i'm here for it yeah like believe what you want you know i'm I'm just gonna i'm I'm just here to entertain you i'm just here to (laughs) i'm just here to learn you (laughs) i'm just here to hopefully creep you out make you go all right so i watched this video about some shit that went down at 3 a.m right obviously because that's the topic um (laughs) just a load of dudes and taco bell (laughs) yeah you know what like if you go on reddit there are a lot of 3am stories or memes and shit but it's because a lot of people are insomniacs you know Mm. like i went on reddit and and i'll I'll touch back to the youtube story in a little bit but since we're on the topic of reddit i'm gonna roll with it so since you brought up the topic of reddit exactly (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of everywhere so yeah, like, there's people, like, you see a lot of memes, like, oh, me at 3 a.m. And, you know, like, just playing random games and and just doing really dumb shit mm-hmm. or thinking about dumb shit. And I think another reason why people um, kind of, like, look at 3 a.m. and it's like, man, that's, like, a jarring time of night is because people with depression generally find it hard to go to sleep. Okay, and yeah. they suffer from sleeplessness. And that's when all those awful, awful thoughts come. But I did find something on Reddit. It's the post is a friend captured this on her ring doorbell December 5th around 3 a.m. I have permission from her to share this because she's looking for an explanation. Now, this is from uh, Reddit user OKCookie99. If you want to check it out. OKCookie. But I'm going to show it to you, and I want you to give me your... My real-time reaction. Your real-time reaction. Oh, no. You see that shit? Yeah, I see it. Uh, Is it over? I think so. That was really weird. I wanted to get, like, a ring doorbell. Yeah. For this house, for security reasons as well, obviously. But Yeah, we live in a bad, bad part of town. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I'm not 100% sure how they work, like whether you get alerted yeah. by stuff like this or whether yeah. you have to go back through them. So because there's so much shit on Reddit, it was really hard for me to find like creepy shit for 3 a.m., specifically mm-hmm. 3, yeah, 3 a.m. Yeah. shit. I found a lot more stuff of this kind of variety. Uh, this picture is from Shitty Food Porn. That's their username. It's a and it's like just a picture with a caption. It says it's three a.m. and I have a two bag, two pound bag of cheese. <laughs> so I guess he's gonna wow. fucking eat. You see more shit like that, yeah. on Reddit about three a.m. So basically, in that video, which uh, I mean, we'll have to post. So if you can send that to me, sure. So I can put it on a thing. It's basically just a little floating shape, like a little. It almost looks like a little person. To me, it sounds. It looks like a yokai. It looks like a floating yokai because it's so small and compact. Yeah. It kind of looks like it, like the you know that paper lantern yokai that I yeah, talked to yeah, you about. Yeah. It kind of looks like if it was transparent and it would just be floating like completely horizontally across. Yeah, but so it, it just comes up the the girl's, uh, the lady's car. And walks around it. Yeah. I don't know. It's just strange. Yeah. To me, I, I would think more like, oh, maybe it's just ghost of a child or something. But yeah. it's just floating. It's not walking around. That's creepy. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, what else? Okay. What else have you got for us? So I have a story. Tell me a story. It's about a kid named Arnie. I found this on YouTube. The story comes from iClowny. So this kid, Arnie, moves into a new house with his family. And he has a weird feeling about it, as you do. Yeah. At 3 a.m., uh, he was up watching scary movies. Good. As you do. Yeah. But then he started hearing singing. And he thought maybe it was the movie that he was watching. So he turned down the sound and he still heard the singing like at the same volume. He was like, okay, I want to go see what the fuck it is. So he left his room and he still heard it like around the house. Like he was walking down the hallway and just walking around the house and he would still hear it, but he could never find out what it was. Yeah. So he went back to bed and the next morning when he woke up, he asked his family if they'd heard anything like any singing and they all said no and they asked him if he was okay (laughs) (laughs) so arnie was like all right i'm gonna figure out what the fuck this is so arnie decided to stay up to see if it would happen again so he stayed up and around 3 a.m he heard it again he got up left his room and when he looked down the long hallway there was a woman he had never seen before. No. She was staring at him. She had a long white dress on, long black hair, and was visibly singing. So it, it was coming from her. What? Arnie was frozen in place. Like he couldn't explain the why he couldn't move, but he just couldn't. Yeah, yeah. The woman started moving toward him, hovering, like she was hovering above the floor no fucking way and she started moving towards him and as she got closer her mouth looked to be getting torn into a wider smile Uh, like ripping open yeah jesus arnie passed out i don't fucking blame him and he came to at 3 30 a.m so he was out for about half an hour okay okay he still lives there. And Psycho. And he, I mean, <laughs> he lives with his parents. He still lives there and he still hears her singing at night at least twice a month. Fucking hell. It didn't say like what song or anything. She was just be yeah, there was no words, just like a repetitive melody. That's horrific. Kind of like vocalizing. She yeah, was just yeah, vocalizing. Yeah, just like humming or whatever. With her mouth open. Duh. I mean, it would have been kind of funny if it was like... A song? Yeah. Because the taste of... Like Toxic from British Spears <laughs> or something. Um, so yeah, that was the YouTube story. And again, like there's literature even that talks about The Witching Hour. There's a Ray Bradbury novel called Something Wicked This Way Comes as a story about a carnival leader named Mr. Dark who is evil and feeds off the souls of people he's enslaved at 3 a.m. That sounds really cool, actually. The book says that the soul is closest to death at 3 a.m. because the soul is out of the body and the blood flows slowly. So I think this might be the same story 
that American Horror Story did. Like, there is, like, a character that only showed up in one episode of American Horror Story Freak Freak, Freak Show. And, but they kind of spun it a little different. Right. This guy, it was like, I think they used the same name. I think it might have been Mr. Dark or maybe who was something else. Um, he came at night and he would always take someone with him. Mm. Weird. It's kind of similar. Yeah, yeah. And he it's... was, yeah. And he only showed up on Halloween night. Um, I'm rewatching American Horror Story, so we'll see how accurate or how dumb I sound right now. <laughs> so anyways, um, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley mentions the witching hour. Here's a quote. Night waned upon this talk and even the witching hour had gone by before we retired to rest. So again, the mention of the witching hour. Shakespeare Hamlet. This now, the very witching time of night when churchyards yawn and hell itself breathes out contagion to this world. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration say that the most drunk driving accidents happen at 3 a.m., we talked about that yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, it might be something to do with the bars closing up at 2. Exactly. At 3 a.m. on November 13, 1974, Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot his mother, father, and four siblings with a 35 Marlin lever-action rifle while they all slept. People may remember this as the Amityville Horror. Of course. There's a total of four movies that I found called, titled, 3 a.m., <laughs> And a buttload of songs, including the one by your M&M, M&M yeah, yeah, yeah. that are called 3AM. So that you see what I'm saying? There's like culture, literature, everything. Yeah, just... yeah. It all goes back to it. But the root was, it came from the Catholic Church. Uh, of course. So, yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my lesson for today. Right on. That was really cool. Okay. So I did this one purely for the funny names. Okay. Oh, God. It's... And then when I ended up getting into it, it is a good story. It's, we'll call it true crime. Okay. My only source was Wikipedia. Mm. But I will say that that's because this particular, I guess, well, this page on Wikipedia is like really, really well done. Mm. Um, And their sources just came from like three or four books that were written on it and they just kept citing the same sources over and over again so i didn't like when i tried to look elsewhere i was like just kind of going around in circles so i was like fuck it Mm. so this is scratching fanny of cock lane (laughs) (laughs) so around 1756 or 57 william kent also there's a ton of names in this Mm. so i tried to like omit some of them yeah you know yeah whatever anyway around 1756 1757 william kent married elizabeth Lyons, and they moved to stoke ferry where they kept an inn and later the local post office william was also like a kind of a a loan shark uh, a usurer Mm. usurer or something like that was like the old-fashioned name but essentially he was a loan shark okay so it sounds like he made enough money yeah. Uh, doing that. Anyway, the two were madly in love, like visibly madly in love, mm-hmm. according to people at the time. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. But sadly, Elizabeth died while giving birth to their son. So I'm guessing this happened around nine months after they were married. Right. While Elizabeth was pregnant, uh, her sister Frances, or Fanny, had moved in with them to help out. Naturally, after Elizabeth died, she stayed to look after William and the baby. Unfortunately, the baby also died pretty quickly. This was the 1750s, so I'm pretty sure. Like, I mean, if you sneezed, you're probably going to die soon. Yeah, there was just like a small chance of anyone making it through mm-hmm. any day. Fanny stayed on to take care of Willie and the house, and they soon struck up a relationship and wanted to get married. Canon law at the time, basically church rules, said that it was impossible. Yeah, it was frowned upon. Yeah, so William even rode to London to seek some advice, and they just said, nah, bro. Just don't do it. Yeah. Basically, because Elizabeth had given birth to a living son, he was not allowed to marry her sister. Mm. So, it's nineteen or it's 1759 by now, and since he can't marry Fanny, he just says, fuck this, gives up his job at the post office, and moves to London to, quote, purchase a place in some public office. Not sure what that means. I think, like, just to pick up, on his like money lending business again or something. Mm-hmm. Fanny moves in with one of her brothers who disapproved of the relationship anyway. The whole family did. But she soon starts sending passionate letters. Quote, filled with repeated entreaties to spend the rest of their lives together. Basically, it was like sending nudes back in the day. Yeah. Oh, and I have a quote of what I assume was in these letters. Oh, <laughs> I, I forgot. <laughs> Read it to me, please. Oh, my big, strong Willie, how I long for your soft touch. Your fanny will always crave her Willie like no other. My bare ankles quiver at the thought of my Willie's embrace. You should see a doctor about your quiver, like, quiver, quivering, quivering ankles. ankles. <laughs> well, it was, you know, that was hot back in the day, right? Your queefing uh, ankle. <laughs> also, I will say... For our American listeners, fanny means butt, but for our Irish and UK listeners, it means front butt. (laughs) (laughs) Front butt. Yes. So It means front flaps. Yeah. So this story was (laughs) basically, I was just a big child and I was like, you know what? I'm going to run with it. Eventually, the thirst trap worked. (laughs) (laughs) He said, Fanny, get your shit together and move in with me. So they decided to live as though they were husband and wife. Yeah, they said, fuck it. Fuck social norms. Yeah, fuck it. You know what? We fuck love it. each other. Fuck it all. Fuck it. And our own fannies. Yeah, this Willie loves that fanny and that's it and all about it. So <laughs> basically, they just pretended to be husband and wife. All right. And they would tell people that they were. They were Mr. and Mrs. Kent. Mm-hmm. But when they moved to a new house, their landlord found out. I think from Fanny's family and he decided that he was going to use that as like leverage to not pay William back the 20 pound that he had borrowed mm. and 20 pound back then there's a lot of uh, modernizing currency on this because landlords are proper cunts aren't they oh yeah big time yeah <laughs> uh, history has not improved that so anyway 20 pound back then was around or is around $5,376. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, like Where the a... fuck was William getting that money? Oh, Willie was rolling in it. 
No shit. No wonder Fanny wanted his Willie. <laughs> so, anyway, William had the landlord arrested for this. And I guess this meant then that they needed a new place to live. Mm. And they got talking to a Richard Parsons while at church one morning. Richard Parsons was the officiating clerk at the church. Gonna be honest with you, I don't really know what that means. Mm. Kind of, I. It so, sounds like an admin job. That's what I thought, but apparently, well, like they would also say prayers with people and shit. So I don't know. Well, I mean, the church has admin positions. Yeah, I, like I thought it was just like you know someone who cleaned up like the wine or so. I don't fucking know whatever they do in church. <laughs> um, the wine, as if they have these like Dionysus <laughs> parties. <laughs> well, they probably fucking do. Um. Yeah, anyway, I, I don't honestly know what exactly this was. He was considered, in general, like to be a respectable member of society, but locally he was do- known as a drunk who could barely afford to provide for his family. What's this guy's name? Richard Parsons. Okay. Dick. Oh, Dick and Willie. Yeah. So, he offered Willie and Fanny to stay at his home in Cock Lane. Uh-huh. So this house is that cock c o c h or c o c k? No, it's cock like cock. All right, c o c k. <laughs> so the house was a three-story building that had one room on each floor and a winding staircase going the whole way up through it. Mm-hmm. So now Willie, Fanny, and Dick are all living in Cock Lane, and that just makes me so happy. <laughs> uh, cock Lane was said to be in a respectable but declining area. Mm. And Richard had a wife and two daughters. Um, you could say the economy around Cock Lane was flaccid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. It was deflating. Um, so It was very limp. <laughs> so Richard had a wife and two daughters. And William had asked the older of the daughters, who was also called Elizabeth, mm-hmm. who was 11 at the time to stay with Fanny while he attended a wedding in the countryside as she was Fanny was several months pregnant at mm, this stage. Okay. So while the two were in bed that night, they started to hear strange scratching and knocking noises, which Mrs. Parsons said was just the cobbler. Or <laughs> was just the neighbor next door who was a cobbler. And who doesn't like a late night shoe repairman? Like, yeah, what like, the fuck? As in, at first, yeah, I thought it was like, as in the ghost of the cobbler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the cobbler. <laughs> um, so <laughs> the noises continued. And when Sandy, when Sandy, when <laughs> Fanny heard them on a Sunday, mm. she asked, was the cobbler working? To which Mrs. Parsons replied, no. Uh. That's a quote. so the landlord of the local pub was visiting one afternoon when he saw a ghostly white figure going up the stairs and he just ran away terrified went Mm -hmm. home richard parsons showed up at the land at the pub landlord's house later and he said that he had also seen a ghost at the house so by now fanny was very close to giving birth and so William arranged to move into a property at Bartlett's Court in Clerkenwell. But by January of 1760, it still wasn't ready. So they took temporary residence in an inconvenient apartment nearby. I think that just means like kind of a slummy apartment or something. Mm-hmm. On the 25th of January, which is my little sister Roshin's birthday. Shout out to Roshin. Roche. Yeah, what's up, Roche? 
Anyway, on 25th of January, Fanny fell ill and the doctor came to see her and said, this place is a dump. You need to move out of here like this. It's filthy or whatever. It's cold and damp, probably. So the next day, the doctor returned along with an apothecary and they agreed that Fanny had smallpox. So Fanny's first order of business was to send for an attorney to make sure that her estate would be left to William. And a rector told her that she would be forgiven of all of her sins. Rector? I barely even <laughs> met her. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I barely even knew her. That's, that's what it is. So yeah, any of our last podcast fans will find that. We'll get that joke. Or anybody. Because I'm hilarious. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so, um, oh yeah, so she died mm. on February 2nd, which is actually my cousin's birthday. Shout out Drew. Uh, unfortunate for her you know she was pregnant she never gave birth that sucks yeah it was really sad but I was like what would this lady have had in her estate back then you know what I mean yeah but it turns out that one of Fanny's brothers had passed away and left her quite a chunk of change Mm. so they were both rolling in it well let me tell you Mm. (laughs) This meant William would receive £150 as well as almost £95 from the sale of some of the brothers' land while she only left the rest of her siblings a half a crown each. How much is a crown? Well, shit, I can't remember now, but this meant that her sister, her siblings got around $33.60. That's how much half a crown would be worth today. Uh-huh. Wow. While William got... Sixty-seven thousand dollars. That's insane. Yeah, I think a crown was uh, like one eighth, or half a crown was one eighth of a pound or something. Mm. Bullshit like that. Twelve and a half pence. Um. Anyway, so there was all sorts of legal troubles after this, and the family tried to take him to court, but when they did, he was just like, "Up, oh, spent it. Sorry." Mm. So there was like bad blood there. In the meantime. William becomes a stockbroker and finds himself a new wife by 1761. A year later. Not even a year later. All right, so let's check back in with old Dickie Parsons here, mm-hmm. owner of the Cock Lane property. Mm-hmm. He had taken a loan out with William, or from William, and had fallen behind on his payments. He had taken out a loan for 12 guineas, and he still owed three guineas. What are guineas? (laughs) So, this is ridiculous. A guinea was one pound and one shilling, which was one pound and a five pence piece. What the (laughs) fuck, man? This is just Monopoly money. I'm like, who even came up with that? Mm -hmm. So anyway, a pound and five pence. And I actually didn't do the math on this. I don't know what it was worth. But uh, either way, William has his solicitor take legal action to go and get the money back by January 1762. This also happens to be the time that these mysterious noises started happening again. Mm. One lady who stayed in the house shortly after William Fanny said that she moved out because they started happening intermittently and it was fine, like it was creepy mm-hmm. or whatever, but slowly they got more and more consistent and like she couldn't stop them. Mm-hmm. So apparently the noises were actually coming from Elizabeth Parsons Jr., who was the eldest daughter of Richard and Elizabeth Sr. There's a lot of Elizabeths. 
So she was the eldest daughter, and by now, I'm guessing she was around 12 or 13. It said here that she suffered from fits too. So I don't know if that meant epileptic seizures or what. But anyway, they started to hear random noises throughout the house and also noises that sounded like a cat scratching at a chair. I found that like really specific. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, when Max scratches the dining room chair, I know what he's doing. Yeah, but I can't imagine that they had like nice material chairs back then. You know what I mean? It would have just been like wood and the cat scratching. So scratching on wood. I guess. All so, right. All right. Or you on Cock Lane? <laughs> <laughs> so Richard, the father, uh-huh. hired a carpenter to come and remove the wainscoting from around her bed or bedroom. I, I'm sure that meant to see if they could find the sources of or the source of these noises. Yeah. Maybe it was like a rat or something. Yeah. It had been decided that the original spectral sightings and mysterious noises were caused by Elizabeth Kent, Fanny's sister. Who must have been pissed off about Willie and Fanny. Mm. Because everybody else was. So Richard went to Rector John Moore. Mm -hmm. And between the two of them they decided that it must now be Elizabeth and Fanny. And they must have an important message to tell them. Interesting. So using a one knock for yes, two for no system. They found out that the spirits. They found out from the spirits that Fanny had in fact been murdered 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 so that first spectral sighting that scared the stockings off the pub landlord was elizabeth and she had shown herself to warn of fanny's impending death Mm. so they had found out that he supposedly murdered elizabeth too but because the ghost didn't show back up they just kind of left it at that i don't they had like solid proof solid spectral proof Mm -hmm. that he killed fanny but they couldn't like pin elizabeth's death on him Mm -hmm. too but after repeatedly questioning fanny's ghost they figured that she had not in fact died of smallpox but by arsenic poisoning Mm. given to her by william just two hours before she passed away her spirit wanted justice Mm. rector moore had heard from richard parsons how william had hounded him for his money back and also got talking to fanny's still living sister who informed him that the funeral was a closed casket so close that the coffin was actually nailed shut. Rector Moore reckoned that Fanny's body would have no marks of smallpox because she was, in fact, poisoned. And so William wanted to hide all evidence. Mm. So Moore brought in some Oxford religious priest scholar Mm. dude called Thomas Broughton Uh because he wanted a second opinion. And also, I think, like, this guy was a dude of some repute, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So he brought Broughton to Cock Lane and he was convinced that A, the ghost was real and B, William was the murderer. So, so so Broughton came to that conclusion on his own. Well, you know, when he got to the house and all these like knocking noises. And yeah, shit. yeah, yeah. So the story made it to the local papers. Uh, one specific uh, local paper, I think called the Public Ledger. And William's reputation was just being dragged through the dirt like now Mm -hmm. people were like oh he's a murderer he's this he's Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. and also remember that people didn't know that him and fanny weren't actually married you know like they were living in sin and all this oh wow so william confronted rector moore john moore um with a witness 
and he he went there to like try and clear his name be like this is fucking bullshit what are you talking about Mm -hmm. and he admitted that he had never actually married fanny and Moore told him that he did not think he was a murderer but that he did but that he believed the spirit's presence indicated that there was something behind darker than all the rest and that if he would go to parson's house he might be a witness to the same and convinced of its reality that's a quote Mm. obviously because i kind of barely know what it means yeah basically more was like come to the house must see yeah so on january 12th 1762 william gets the two doctors who attended fanny in her last days and together with broughton they go to cock lane on the upper floor of the house elizabeth parson was publicly undressed i don't know really what to think about that what yeah i don't know like like not decent or stark naked i don't know whether that just meant like you know take off 18 layers of their fucking 48 yeah, petticoats yeah, yeah. or whatever and yeah yeah put into her nightgown or whatever but anyway her ankles must have been showing yeah so they put her in bed with her younger sister mm-hmm. there was an audience in the room i'm not exactly sure how many were there but it sounds like quite a lot And they sat around the bed, which was positioned in the center of the room. They were warned that the ghost was sensitive to disbelief and told they should show respect. Then began the seance. (laughs) A relative of the Parsons, Mary Fraser, ran around the room shouting, Fanny, Fanny, why don't you come? Do come, pray, Fanny, come. Dear Fanny, come. (laughs) That's so funny. You just said that they have to show respect and this bitch is running around I hollering know, right? this shit. <laughs> it's like, oh, she, she'll only come out for me. Hang on. Funny! Um, <laughs> I like the koala bear. Gary! Yeah, yeah. Gary! So that's a, that's a quote, by the way. <laughs> Why don't you come? Do come, pray, Fanny. <laughs> no offense to our English listeners. This is going to be terrible, full of uh, awful accents. So anyway, nothing happened. John Moore told the group that it was their fault because they're being far too noisy and he kicked them out. (laughs) I don't blame him. Yeah, so he told them that he would contact the ghost Mm -hmm. by stamping his foot. Wow. Yeah. About 10 minutes later, they were told that the ghost had returned and they could all come back in. Moore started to to ask questions off of like a pre-approved list that him and Richard Parsons had come up with earlier. And here, this is a are you the wife of Mr. Kent? Two knocks. Did you die naturally? Two knocks. By poison? One knock. Did any person other than Mr. Kent administer it? Two knocks. After a while of this questioning, someone in attendance said, Kent, ask this ghost if you shall be hanged. William's surname is Kent. Mm-hmm. Just a little reminder. I know there's a lot of names in this. So William asked and the question was answered with a single knock. Mm. So he's like, good, right? Mm. So then William shouted, Thou art a lying spirit. Thou art not the ghost of my fanny. She would never have said such a thing. The ghost of my fanny. I was literally sitting here writing these notes like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> After this, uh, Elizabeth Parsons was taken to the house of a Mr. Bray, where on the 14th of January, while in the presence of two unidentified nobles, 
more knocking was heard. The ghost was following her. So all this was being documented by the local press. One paper, um, the public ledger, something like that. It's written down further in my notes. But the public was like hanging on to it every word. Mm-hmm. So she was sent back home. And on January 18th, another seance was held. In attendance were William, the apothecary, local parish priest, Stephen Aldrich, and other people. But I guess like these were the only, these were some of the noteworthy ones. This time, when a clergyman checked under the bed with a candle, the ghost refused to answer, and Mary Fraser said, She loving not light. What? Meaning the ghost. She loving not light. I don't know how special this Mary Fraser was, (laughs) but I think what she meant was the ghost doesn't like the light. Mm. So after after a few minutes, the questions continued. But when Moore asked if the ghost would appear in court against William, Fraser refused to ask the question. So I think like it it was consistently this Mary Fraser woman who was like the conduit, like she would ask the questions aloud or something like that. Mm-hmm. So when William and Fanny lived in Cock Lane, they actually employed a maid, Esther Carrot Carlyle. Wow. <laughs> they called her Carrots. Because she had red hair. <laughs> what the fuck? I know. Carrots. Carrots. It's carrots in it. <laughs> poor girl. That's awful. I know. Awful. <laughs> Sorry to all our red haired listeners. We love you. Gingers. Yeah. Unite. She didn't know anything about the hauntings as she had moved away to a new job. But Moore went to find her in search of the truth and invited her to a seance. So on the 19th of January at the seance, Carrots told Moore that Willie loved Fanny and said they were very loving and lived very happy together. Oh my God. Carrots. Carrots. They call me Carrots and yes, I'm a lady. (laughs) (laughs) I've been a maid for 50 years. Um, So William arrived later with James Franzen, who was the landlord of the pub who had supposedly seen Elizabeth ghost Elizabeth's Elizabeth's ghost and also two priests Broughton and Dodd Mary Fraser started her usual introduction but apparently Moore got pissed off and sent everyone out of the room for a few minutes so this seems to be quite a regular thing there was about 20 in attendance this time so that'll just go to show you all just standing around or sitting around this poor young one's bed Carrots spoke to the ghost directly. I guess I'm going to have to continue with his voice. Are you my mistress? (laughs) (laughs) I think I actually got this wrong back up here. (laughs) So is it one one knock for yes and two knocks for no? It's two for yes. That's what I thought, but... Okay, sorry. So I got the one knock for yes, two knocks for no. I was getting confused. Mm. Anyway, Carrot spoke to the ghost directly. Are you my mistress? One knock, followed by scratches. Are you angry with me, madam? One knock. Then I am sure, madam, you may be ashamed of yourself, for I never hurt you in my life, said Carrots. And this is directly from the Wikipedia page. At this, the seance was ended. 
Fraser and Franzen remained alone in the room, the latter reportedly too terrified to move. Franzen, again, being the guy who saw the apparition at the start mm-hmm. of the story. Fraser asked if he would like to pray and was angered when he apparently could not. The seance resumed and Franzen later returned home, where he and his wife were reportedly tormented by the ghosts knocking in their bedchamber. January 20th, they head to the nearby home of one Mr. Bruin. This time around, they had a fellow who was, quote, extremely desirous of detecting the fraud and discovering the truth of this mysterious affair. He also had a little gang of, like, naysayers with him. One of his men sat against the bed, but was asked to move by the ghost's supporters. And when he wouldn't, they had a little argument and all the ghost supporters left. So at this stage, there's literally, it sounds like half the room is like, it's definitely a ghost. And the other half are like, there's no such thing as ghosts. Anyway, all the ghost supporters left. The ghost made no more sounds that night, but Elizabeth was extremely agitated and was displaying signs of convulsions. Whatever that means. I don't know like whether she was like actually having seizures on the bed or, or what. This went on until around 7am, at which point the knocking started again. In the meantime, Elizabeth admitted that she had actually seen the ghost, but that she wasn't afraid. They wanted to move Elizabeth to another random house for another seance on the 22nd of January, but Richard didn't want it to go, so eventually he agreed on uh, St. Bartholomew's Hospital, where nothing happened until 6am, when the over 20 people who were in attendance heard three scratches while Elizabeth was apparently sleeping. So... Again, I just feel so bad for this poor little girl. Yeah. Literally being dragged around here and there and like being scrutinized and fucking examined and shit. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this crowd, the crowd was starting to doubt the sincerity of all this. And when Elizabeth woke up, she started to cry. When she calmed down, she said she was afraid for her father. Quote, who must, who must needs be ruined and undone if their matter should be supposed to be an imposture. So basically, she's saying, if we get found out, like, it's going to ruin my my, my mm-hmm. dad. She also admitted that while she appeared to be sleeping, she had, in fact, heard everything that the people were saying. So she's like, the pressure is on now. The media had started to really spread the word now. Up to this point, it was just that one paper, the public ledger, talking about it. But now the word has spread all across London and crowds had started to gather in Cock Lane. Richard took full advantage of this. And he started charging visitors a fee to come in and talk to the ghost, which was apparently very active for these paying customers. Mm. And the people loved it. They're like, oh, this is fucking great. So it was causing such a stir now that the mayor was asked to step in and either arrest William for murder or arrest Richard for conspiracy. But he was like, fuck off. Like, I've got more mayoral things to do. I don't fucking know. But what he did suggest was to send Elizabeth to that local priest Stephen Aldrich's house to be further tested on January 23rd and 24th her dad said yeah that's fine but I'm sending uh, you know people with her like it had some weird phrasing basically she, he wanted to send like friends and family with her yeah to keep her company just during the day but this was not allowed and he was told that they would only allow quote any person or persons of strict character and reputation who are housekeepers. What? I don't know. Like, yeah. some of the things were confusing. 
Anyway, this pissed Richard off, and he spoke about it in the public ledger, which caused Aldrich to issue a retort in another, more sceptical paper, basically saying they couldn't understand why Richard wasn't happily giving up his child without someone to keep an eye on her. Mm -hmm. But now it's getting like this fucking public feud where they're saying like he doesn't believe me and they're saying he's a fucking fraud and at the, in the middle of it is this poor little girl yeah so january 26th elizabeth was taken to another house where she slept in a hammock and the noises came back and the ghost supporters were further convinced because every, i guess people were saying oh it's just the bed that she's in like she can yeah. she's making the noises so they made her sleep in a fucking hammock this time and they still heard the noises. Mm-hmm. So Horace Walpole, the fourth Earl of Orford, announced that himself and the Duke of York, Lady Northumberland, Lady Mary Coke, and Lord Hertford would be paying Cock Lane a visit on January 30th. But they were very disappointed with their visit. I don't know whether they were just disappointed in how poor people are. Or whatever, but Probably. I'm sure Mary Coke was there for a good time. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> she probably was just very disappointed with everything. Aldrich had assembled a committee. Aldrich being the priest. Again, sorry for all these different fucking names. Aldrich had assembled a committee to figure out what was going on. One of the members had actually attended one of the many seances armed with a pistol and a stick. Because he was going to shoot whoever was making the knocking sounds and then beat his way through the crowd to escape. (laughs) The ghost made no sound that evening. So this committee held a seance on the 1st of February in Aldridge's house. Elizabeth had been put to bed at about about 10 o'clock and the men all went to her room. So they had like chambermaids to get her ready for bed and all that. And Mm -hmm. then the men showed up later. They sat for an hour without hearing any noise. So then they went downstairs to interrogate her father, Richard, who denied any knowledge of fraud. While questioning Richard, the ladies who were tending to Elizabeth came down and they said that shit's starting to pick up up in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. But when all the men went back up there, they told her to stick out her arms and legs and no more sounds happened. So the ghost had previously said that it would go to the vault where Fanny was buried and make its presence known to all by knocking on her coffin. This was supposed to be the ultimate proof for these men. So they went to the vault this night at one in the morning and they took turns going down. I'm assuming this is because it was a small vault and it was a big group. But no matter who went down and what questions they asked, they got no response. So, and William and all was there because he's still trying to, you know, protect his name and stuff. So they go back to get a confession from Elizabeth because now they're convinced that she's, that this is a big spook. Yeah. But this little girl, she said she won't budge. Like, she was like, no, this is happening. Like, I can't do this. And eventually they just let her dad take her home at like three in the morning. So at this stage, Moore, who had originally wholeheartedly believed the ghost was there to prove that, you know, maybe William didn't kill the sisters, but that, you know, they were there to prove something. Anyway, he had come around and was starting to believe that it was a hoax. And that he would help him reveal it. But when William asked him to write an affidavit of what he knew and just end all of this, Moore refused. He said he still believed the ghost's presence was a reminder of his sin. Getting with Fanny after being with her sister. Uh. Yeah. So, uh, what? 
This was a general belief among people still. Nobody approved of this relationship, even after the poor woman was dead. These seances went on and on in different houses in front of different people, hoisting Elizabeth up in hammocks, forcing her to hold out her arms and legs until the ghost was silent. And eventually the ghost went silent for two nights, at which point Elizabeth was told that if the ghost didn't start making noise again, by Sunday the 21st of February, that they were going to send her and her dad to prison. So after this, her maid saw her concealing a piece of wood and ratted her out to investigators. Now they said it was like a small piece of wood, like four inches by six inches. So I'm assuming like, again, everybody wore fucking hundreds of layers of clothes back then. She hid it somewhere. So it was concluded after this that she had been making the noises the entire time and her father was making her do it. And that was it. Like the everything started coming to an end and it was like, oh, well, there's your ghost. So a pamphlet was published to restore William Kent's good name to the public. And William, along with Aldridge, the Undertaker, I have written here not the Undertaker, but an <laughs> Undertaker, <laughs> the clerk and the parish sexton, they all went down to the vault to open Fanny's coffin because some newspaper along the way had said that not only did he murder her, now that the ghost is back, he's actually stolen her body from the coffin so the ghost can't go there to prove him wrong. Wow. So they have to go and lift the lid off this fucking coffin and there's poor Fanny's decomposing body in the middle of it. It was supposed to be horrific. Mm. So she was there. So again, this just proved that William was, in fact, innocent. And authorities charged Moore, John Moore, Richard Parsons, Mrs. Parsons, Mary Fraser, and Richard James, a tradesman. I don't I don't know where he came into it. He was just like... They were just charging everybody. Yeah. Anyway, they charged them all with conspiracy to take away William Kent's life by charging him with the murder of Frances Franny Lyons by giving her poison whereof she died. John Moore and Richard James ended up forking over £588, which is the equivalent to around $160,000 today. That's crazy. Mrs. Parsons, who was another Elizabeth, was to be in prison for a year. Mary Fraser, the one who would run around and be like, Ah, come out, Fanny. Mm -hmm. Uh, She got in prison for six months with hard labor. Richard Parsons was ordered to be set in the pillory three times in one month. Once at the end of Cock Lane. So I googled what a pillory was. I didn't know. It was the stocks. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like their head would be in the middle and their yeah. arms on either side mm. and they would have to stand there for the public to see. And like generally the public would throw rotten fruit and mm-hmm. just call them names and just like make a show of them. Mm-hmm. But apparently he had just like lost all hope and he was such a pathetic sight that the public actually felt sorry for him and started throwing money at him. And they made little collections and all because they were just felt so bad for him. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway... He also served two years in prison for this. But yeah, so there you go. That's the story of Scratch and Fanny in Cock Lane. They never found out what it was? It was a hoax. Oh. (laughs) I thought she concealed that piece of wood after being threatened. So that is what happened. Mm -hmm. And they concluded that this has been what was going on the whole time. Mm -hmm. 
whether it started out as you know some poltergeist activity mm-hmm. to begin with i don't know mm-hmm. i think well it was like a super elaborate plan but i think maybe uh richard parsons was just like so embarrassed or so pissed off that he had to pay kent back the money the three guineas um and he was like dragged through the courts or whatever to do it or his solicitor and all showed up that he was just super salty and was like you know what i'm gonna ruin your reputation yeah because he had found out that mm-hmm. fanny and him were married and blah 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 yeah so yeah but that was the ending of it and anyway they all got locked up and willie kent went off to i'm sure live Be a rich. very fucking successful life yeah mm-hmm. oh and it's li- we even forgot about the listener story this time <laughs> Okay, so this is from well, a new friend, I guess. Her and her boyfriend have released a Christmas single. They're two independent artists from Dublin. And I've known Dara since I was in school. And so now Dara Cullen, D. Cullen, and Sinead McConville have released this lovely Christmas song. And I got talking to Sinead and she sent us in this lovely story. Hello, I'm just going to send you a voice recording to tell this story. Um, basically, I went in trading when I was 20. So I was in 2015. And we went to Krakow. It was like our fourth stop off. And we were staying in a hostel that was really close to the square. And it was like, the hostel's really old. It was like two massive floors up. Um, like you had to carry all your cases and stuff up. And then... Um, it's just really like run down and the rooms were like it was grand like it was per- it was only 10 her night so you know it is what you get and we were delighted because we were poor so uh so we went to crack out for three nights the second day we went to the salt mines and the guys didn't go out that night that's what it was so we all stayed in that night because we were all really tired and we all went to bed and like the hostel was really old but it was fine and I was on a bottom bunk. So there's three bunks in the room. And two of them were facing each other. So like lying vertical beside the person. But a gap to walk in. And I was across from my best friend. And then my best friend was on. Another best friend was on top. And then another person was on top of her. So it was fine. And it was like. I was lying on my side. Looking out at the room. And there was a window near my head. And I. My eyes were kind of opening. And I, there was like a small boy and a small girl. The boy was closer to the window and the girl was closer to me. And they were both standing there looking out the window. I remember it so clearly. And I was like, I couldn't speak, but I didn't want to. I was like, just lying there. My eyes were like half open, just watching this. And they were both just looking out. Like the, it was kind of like, it was look, it looked like it was the morning because it was bright out. But it was too early to get up. It was about seven or eight in the morning. And they were both just staring at the window and they, were, they weren't cartoons, but it was like they were kind of a little bit blurry. Like they weren't like sharp people. It just seemed like they were a little bit blurry. And then I was staring at them for ages, just lying there staring. And then they both turned around and they started staring back at me and I was staring at them. And then they just slowly faded into black particles, like black dust. And I was like, what the fuck? And then... Then I went back to sleep. I'm like convinced it wasn't a dream because I went back to sleep. But like, felt like a second later, I opened my eyes again 
and it was the exact same lighting in the room it was like still kind of bright out like it was like nothing had changed i was sleeping and i was lying in the same way like when i opened my eyes it was the exact way that i was watching these two kids in whenever i seen them so i was kind of like that's a bit weird so i kind of um i got really really creeped out and i was like what the fuck so i didn't say it to the guys when we got up the next day and then i kind of said no i didn't say it so then we went to Auschwitz that day and it was fine and then oh it was awful but then that night the guys were going out and I was like I don't feel well I'm gonna stay in so I decided to get an early night and they went out but then they came back and I was still asleep I was just conked out but at about five or six in the morning I woke up to get a drink of water and my friend Adish was like Sinead who was in the bunk opposite me she was like Sinead I just saw something and I was like, bitch, don't fucking tell me. I fucking hate ghosts. I'm freaked out by it. Like, just don't tell me. So I, I just drank the water. Like, I don't know. Like, we just, it was weird how we were both awake at five in the morning. She was like, Sinead, whereas I just got up. So I was like, look, just tell me in the morning. I'm going back to sleep. Went back to sleep. And then we all woke up the next morning and I was like, oh, like, what is it now? I was like, what happened? And she said she was lying there on her side she could see like a black smoke from the bottom of my feet all the way up to bed like moving its way up my bed and then when I got to my head she freaked out and turned around but that was when I woke up to get the water so I don't know it was very odd like thank god she didn't tell me like we were leaving the hostel that day thank god I was freaking out I just wanted to get out of it but um it's very weird I really remember the two kid ghosts so clear like it wasn't like a dream because like you know how you forget your dreams i really really remember the two that's a long story so i looked up the hostel anyways and a few days later when we got back and apparently it's in like the most haunted space in krakow <laughs> i try to find it i try to find the hostel but like it was weird so yeah that's that's my only thing like it doesn't freak me out but i don't know i always feel like there's something in the room when there is and but I've ne I haven't had any experience besides from that. And I can't really explain. I don't know. It's weird. Wow. Yeah, right? I love Crazy. it. Me too. And I love the voicemail or the voice message stories. Yeah. I much prefer them. Yeah, because again, like, I had never spoken to this girl before. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, we had been uh, talking on Instagram and then she just sent that. And I was like, fuck yeah. Because mm. I feel like what sometimes... <laughs> What just came out of my throat? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we shit the bed on this one because we didn't realize that it was actually coming out on Christmas Day. Right. So here we are recording on Christmas Eve. Uh-huh. The third outro because I deleted the one that we did yesterday. Yeah. Literally skating by the seat of our pants. Yeah. So I'm going to finish it right now. But we just wanted to say thanks a million, Sinead and Dara. Thanks for, for not trying to sue us. Yeah, for allowing us to use your absolutely gorgeous Christmas song, Christmas Ain't the Same. So today we're going to play it out with that. So make sure you go and follow Sinead McConville and D. Cullen on Instagram and on Spotify. They're two fantastic solo artists from Dublin. And yeah. All right. Awesome. I think that's it. Happy Christmas. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Weekly Creep. Uh, email your stories to weeklycreep at gmail.com all that good shit all and right. most important happy fucking Christmas <laughs> happy Christmas bye, bye. I 
Christmas ain't the same. 